Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. How wonderful it is to be able to come together God together. What an encouragement it is to us, and no doubt God is pleased. If you will, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's look at us recently. Uh, we hosted, as a congregation, an area-wide devotional Thursday night, and Phil worked so hard on uh, making sure that everyone was together, and he did a wonderful job leading the singing there, and Kevin spoke, and we had 267 children here, youth here, uh, Thursday night. Beautiful singing it was, and, and uh, what a beautiful evening it was together. Saturday evening, Gwen Cox was baptized here, with her. We look forward to getting to know her better. Also, we uh, look forward to the Teacher's Appreciation Banquet, but also the workshop that's coming up. Be sure, uh, probably already have, but make sure you mark that on your calendar. Uh, an investment of our time that will surely pay great dividends as we can encourage and simply strive to do what we do the very best we can. You know, if you stop and think about it, there's no work more important than the Lord's work. And a part of the Lord's work is teaching. And if you're a teacher, we ought to be willing to give our very best to invest in being the best that we can be as teachers. And this workshop will be one opportunity for us to invest our time. We can do it. What we do, and enjoy a fellowship together the appreciation dinner. When we think of conduct, how much word in of it is inward. Have you ever had somebody coming over and you turn to your children, maybe as children, you remember this being said to you, and someone said, now we're having company night, now you be sure and act right. What's that implying? Normally you don't act right when you eat a meal together. Act right this time. Normally you don't act right around the house, but act right this time. Is that what the Lord is looking in us? In other words, is He looking for us just at times and segments of our life to do something different than what we do at one time? Or is He looking for something that's inside and out? Now, a little bit on the lighter side, but nevertheless, to make a little point here, think with me about the lady that goes into the museum and is there an artist is there with several of his paintings. She has a painting that is a black background with yellow stripes, Green is smeared across it, and purple is splattered upon it. The woman is a great uh, one that appreciates art to its highest, and this confuses her. So she walks over, and uh, she addresses the artist, and she says to him, I just don't understand that particular painting. He says, oh, madam, you have to understand, I simply paint what's on the inside of me. She said, have you tried Alka-Seltzer? Now, when you think about conduct, and maybe not exactly what it ought to be at certain times, not just an outward problem. It really is a problem of the inside. Now, as we think about church growth, here, Ephesians talks about what to grow. It's interesting that the last several verses leading up to verse 16 as he talks about what individuals ought to be with and with each other. In other words, have you ever noticed that if people 
don't live right, it's very to those that are individuals, and we have urged them to us say right. Yes. That's the biggest hypocrite I've ever met. I won't be going there. Well, that's hard to argue against, but of course, we strive. Nobody's perfect. We're there to serve God. Please come and visit us anyway. But does that work against church growth? Absolutely. Why does God address this? Number one, He addresses this because our soul salvation is important. If our say not righteous, it a woman, she said, you mean he goes there? First mouth I've ever heard around the gymnasium and around the ballpark will ever find me going where that fellow goes to church. Proper conduct. As the Lord talks about a growing church, the Lord talks about I ought to be in relationship with God with each other. Let's verses. We're in Ephesians chapter morning. And the reason I want to mention that, 11, he talks about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and then tells what they are for. And that's what we looked at this morning, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Comma there. And so, as he's talked about what leadership is to help the followers do, then he talks in verse 13 about the duration of it. Notice this, till we all come and here's what we're striving to become. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of a stature, the fullness. Now it's interesting here that he lists four things that are a, a tremendous challenge for us. The first thing he talks about is the unity of the faith. Now if you'll drop back in this same paragraph, the same chapter here, Ephesians the fourth chapter, you remember verse 3? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith. And then he gets one body, the one spirit, just one, one Lord, one faith. So see there, we read about the unity of the spirits, what we're striving to keep, and how do we do that? Here he mentions the one faith. Now we go a little bit deeper and he talks about what we're striving to become. He mentions the unity of the faith. What is faith? The system of beliefs in which everyone went back to the less. That system of beliefs that, that we follow. In other words, if I were to say to you uh, this evening, what's the second greatest command? Probably most here could immediately say, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Is that part of your faith? You say, absolutely, it's part of my faith. Well, why is it part of your faith? What if I said it's not part of my faith? Well, you'd immediately recognize that I don't follow the new covenant. And we could talk about areas of worship. We could talk about the organization of the church. We could talk about your conduct with your family. We could talk about your conduct with others, your relationship with God. And friends, the question of the practice, it's our life to follow. That is the unity. A perfect man. This knowledge of God is to bring us to a perfect man. That's complete. Are we there yet? No? What are we striving for? That 
completeness that can only be found in growing more and more like Christ. As a matter of fact, that last phrase there is so important. Look at that last phrase. To the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or stature is a description usually given in size or in age. What stature are you? Well, four foot tall. What stature are you? Well, that's a three-year-old class. Isn't it interesting here, he says, and notice there in the text, he says a measure. To the measure about standard, very standard that God gives us. He says, I want you to measure yourself against the stature, not just of Christ, but of the fullness of Christ. You know, John 1 and 14 says, describing Christ, that He is full of grace and truth. We're great and unselfishness. How many of us can say, well, I measured myself against Christ and I'm right there. I am as unselfish as Jesus Christ. And you know, I would say that most of us have to say, I'm not to that point yet, but I'm measuring myself against Jesus and I see that I have room for improvement and I'm going to keep working at it. And then we say the, the measure of the fullness of Christ in truth. Is everything in your life truth? We have on our marquee outside the idea that spiritual growth is taking misbeliefs and replacing them with truth. And that's, that's so true. And so are we taking all the areas in our life that have been misdirected, that have been misfocused, misprioritized, that simply are not true, and we're replacing those with truth? That's what Jesus is. And so we look at it and say, I'm not there yet, but I'm giving my best and I'm making improvements. Here's the challenge. And I beg you tonight, out of a crowd this size, there's bound to be at least one or two men. Times have we heard individuals that they live their life based upon the standard, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, you, you see, the reason I, I do that is I'm not perfect. And you know, nobody's perfect. Do you hear what that's being conveyed in that kind of language? I'm not perfect, and I'm comparing myself to everybody else, and nobody's perfect, and so I've eased my conscience. I've patted myself on the back. In a sense, I've given myself a big hug and said, it's okay, nobody's perfect. Is that our stature that we measure ourselves by? Friends, God knows that none of us are perfect, Romans 3 and 23, but God also says, I don't want that to become your measuring stick. I don't want that to become your standard. Instead, we say, I'm not perfect but I see what I'm striving to become. And so every day it gives us something to measure by. What if our society today measured itself by what it saw on television? Can you imagine that being the standard? Friends, I am playing a foolish game. I think what I see in much of the entertainment world today is a norm, actually a spiritual high. I can't compare myself to the entertainment industry. I can't compare myself to my neighbors. And the truth is, I can't even compare myself to my brother Christ. We can't become each other's standard. The standard has to be Jesus Christ. And we're measuring to see that there's room for improvement, and we're striving to do that. So first of all, about the conduct, he says, high standard. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't settle for anything less. And finally, one day, that is, let's now, still working through this same sentence. Verse 14, he says that we should no longer be 
and fro and doctrine by the craftiness of deceitful plotting. Here is going to demand. Notice the words that phrase that this is the, the verse that we just read. When we read words like to and the the cunning craftiness, the words point to immaturity. Now, I used to picture in my mind when I studied this verse, I pictured children out on a lake in a boat and there was a terrible storm just blowing those children everywhere. That was a misbelief. Do you read anywhere in that verse that there's a terrible storm blowing? There's not, is it? What are these children doing being tossed to and fro? Well, imagine with me. There's a sailboat. There's two children. They're three and four years old, and they're in the middle of a lake, and they're happy as they can be. They don't know that there's any danger. They actually think they're guiding the boat, and people on shore are saying, something's wrong. Look, that's only children in that boat. Someone says, how long have you been watching them? Well, I've been watching them for an hour now, and they're just drifting with the current. You see, they're tossed to and fro, whichever way the wind carries them. What if somebody comes by and misdirects them? Deceitfulness, plotting, craftiness, trickery. Oh, it'd be easy to do. We have an expression for it today. The expression is, oh, it's like taking candy from a baby. Here is what he's saying spiritually. When we're not spiritually mature, we can fall for anything. And so the point that the Lord is making is that in our conduct, we must demand of ourselves to grow up. When we are first baptized into Christ, it is perfectly acceptable for us to be spiritual babes. But something is wrong after a period of time, we are still a spiritual babe. Something is wrong if after years we're still a spiritual babe. We ought to become somewhat skilled in the Word of God. We ought to be uh, skilled in the way to apply the Word of God to life, which would be a part of spiritual wisdom. If not, we're going to find ourselves like children. It's dangerous because children can't make decisions to protect themselves. Have you ever seen God? that has refused to grow up, and yet their feelings get hurt very often? Makes sense, doesn't it? Not mature enough to make wise decisions. It's to our best interest spiritually to grow up. It's to the best interest of the church if we grow up. It's what helps causes a church to grow. Notice, if you will, if we read verse 15. He says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. The right conduct also demands proper speech. Now, it's interesting that as he deals with the right conduct here for several verses, that he brings up speech when James, the third chapter in verse 2 even points out the fact that if a man could be perfect in tongue, he would be perfect in his life. You see what 
Paul has done here is he's taken the hardest issue, the hardest area of our life in which to control, that of our speech, that of the tongue, and he's used that to say, now let's make sure that you get this right, and if you can get this right, other things are going to fall in line. Well, what is it about the speech that Paul brings out here? He says, first you need to speak the truth in love. And in doing that, you can grow up to be like Christ. When we think about the fact that our tongue and speech is one of those areas that not only when we mishandle it, is it a sin which is bad for us, but have you ever noticed how often when we mishandle our tongue, it hurts someone else? Yes, just as sticks and stones break bones, words hurt even more. I need to think carefully, skillfully, maturely about my words. If you had to write down knowing that God knows the right answer, when's the last time you gossiped? Today? Yesterday? Last week? Why? We know it's sin. We know that we're not moving towards spiritual maturity, become more like Christ when we sin. When's the last time you lied? Big or small, when's the last time? Why? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to misuse the tongue? When did profanity fly? When did using God's name in vain? Would you like it if every time somebody mashed their finger, they yelled out your name? Every time something bad happened, they said your son's name? We know from the Scriptures, God hates it. God will not tolerate profanity in the area of righteousness. It's making that which is holy, common, profane. God will not accept such speech as righteous. We're responsible. We're responsible for every word that passes through our lips. How well am I doing in conduct? to be what I ought to be, but also to help the church to grow. Isn't it interesting that the flip side of that point is almost just as powerful? Isn't it wonderful when someone uses their words to instruct about righteousness? Isn't it wonderful when someone uses their words to encourage another person? Isn't it wonderful when someone's words are going all the way up to the Heavenly Father in prayer or in praise and singing? You know, if we were in like a, a, just a, a setting where we were visiting, we could go all the way around the room and every person here could tell about a time someone said something to them just at the right time that meant so much. Isn't it wonderful that words can be used in that way? What do you think helps a church to grow closer together and be built up toward God? Not just avoiding the wrong words, but speaking the right words. Turn with me, if you would, to, first, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. Notice as we begin, verse 23, and as we read this, what Paul is teaching Timothy to do is to use his words skillfully to try to take people. The last verse here that we're going to read is literally taking people out of the snares of Satan. Now, I want you to imagine a snare, a trap. 
Someone has been caught by Satan. And what we're doing is we're going up and we're wanting to release them from Satan and to bring them over to the will of God. But of course, it's their decision. Satan cannot hold anyone that doesn't want to be held. And so what we're trying to do is by our words to instruct them, urge them, motivate them to come to the side of Jesus Christ. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, just any words do. We can say anything we want to say. No, it has to be truth, and it has to be truth spoken in love. And this is the way Paul would teach Timothy that he needs to think about this. Look at verse 23. He says, you're going to this person. He says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. See, God's saying here in 2 Timothy 2, 23, he's saying, Timothy, the way you win people from Satan is not to argue with them. Avoid those things that create arguments. Now notice 24. And a servant of the Lord. Notice he's putting humility in here. Look how humility is used over and over. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach. Patient. In humility. Correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. In and of itself, But do you see the humility here? Do you see the truth that is necessary? Do we see the love that has to be conveyed to urge that person? Will you make that repentance and will you turn to God? In our text in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he takes and he says all of that by using the fundamental principles of this. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who... ...point here. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body... This is Ephesians 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies... Heart does. Here we see that our conduct, if it is to be right conduct, must involve joint participation. Well, preacher, I just prefer to leave my religion just between me and God, and I just don't really like to mix and mingle with others. We don't have the opportunity to design our religion. Relationship to be with God and with others. Friends, that's playing God. Well, I just free somewhere out in nature. Give you and I the opportunity to God. You create in your mind how you want religion to be. You create in your mind how you want worship to be. You just create the way you want the plan of salvation. Think of the arrogance of all of that. What do you teach? And knit together. The idea of join is like we think of a joint itself. In other words, it, it fits together. But then when we use the word knit here, and these are two different words, just as in the English, it's two different words in the original language. So he says you're joined together, but then when he says knit together, it is a stronger word as if to say forced into place. In other words, we know when our joints are in place how they're to operate. And so here he's saying that joint, they are, the, the two are joined and they are forced into place. Now, 
In the original language, like in mine, it has joint supplies. That must be a difficult word to translate because many think that the joint there is literally thinking about the whatever ligament supplies. That's interesting. He's describing be. I want you to be joined. I want you to be knit close together. And I want the, the ligaments to be pulling you in place. Are you and I in the of the Lord's church at Mount Julia? He says, I want you working together. We would say today like a hand in a glove. Here he says like joined together. And I want you not only to be joined together, I want you to be tight to make it work. You know, when you grow up a certain way, you tend to appreciate that. I kind of like it when parents get real straightforward with their kids. Says, you make it work. I'll be back in 10 minutes and it better be settled. Oh, man. My sister and I could be polarized, but when we knew we only had 10 minutes, we'd sit down and make it work. We only had 10 minutes, and it had to be working time we came back. It didn't matter what the disagreement was. All of a sudden, something that was so terrible, when you knew it has to work, you can say, hey, sit down. we got to figure this out. Think personalities ever clash in a church? Oh, yeah. Opinions ever differ? Yes. What in the world could bring everybody together when the Lord says... Make it work. Says, make it work. What we have to do is get beyond ourselves. Sarcastically saying, we have to get over ourselves. You and I are not so important in comparison to the whole church. We are a part of something that's much greater than any of us individually. We're part of a cause that is so much more important than our lives individually. Now, don't, please don't misunderstand me. God loved you individually so much, He would give His Son to die for you. He did that. But when we think about our place in the body, we're a part of something that is huge. We're a part of a cause that is eternal. And what I need to do is say, it is up to me to submit myself and get along. Let the let's close this thought here in verse sixteen. The by which every part work is to account for something. Life running circles. If you had a business and you ran circles every day, it wouldn't take you long to sit down and say, "Wait a minute, we're going to find a way to be effective here." You either do that or go out of business. Well, let's not run circles in the church. Let's figure out ways to do things effectively. Teachers, let's go to a workshop Saturday and let's figure out a way to make our service even more effective. Let's figure out a way to encourage each other. Let's figure out a way to grow in greater service. Why? Because that is what causes growth of the body. When the whole church is coming together, they're joined, they're knit, the ligaments are pulling them together because everybody wants to be an effective part of the body. And the end of verse 16 is, after he says causes growth of the body, he says, for edifying of itself in love. 
edifying, for taking the structure that Christ designed, which is to be built up. We're edifying. We're building ourselves up. But He comes back and He will not leave that point alone. Love. We build the church up because we love God, because we love each other, because we love the lost and we want them to come. That's the growth of the body, conversion. Can you get about as broad as it gets? But here Paul takes conduct and he brings it down a little more narrow and he says, Thank on the church upon growth. With that we see the importance of maturity, not being children. We see the importance of giving ourselves in submission to fulfilling our part and working together with each other. Tonight, where do you stand in your relationship? I want you to look at a word, a sentence as we close this evening. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Immediately no. Communication. Now we don't have a way a this congregation work. Now we're not talking about for involvement sake. Get up and make an announcement. We have 100%. We're talking about because we love the Lord and we want to be joined and knit together, ligaments pulling us together in the work of the Lord. We're talking about we want to do it because it's the right thing for us to do. We can't run a test and say, well, let's run this sentence and let's see if, if every member comes through. Oh, no, wait, we're missing some R's. Uh, we're missing here. We're missing a B. We can't run a test like that. You know what? Just run that test. God can run His at a moment. He knows right now if you and if we do our share. God knows. Right now, I've either fulfilled His will in that, or I'm sure we conviction. For His glory. God. I saved, why not? Part of something that's so much greater than just yourself and will exist. If our life is part of this earth, we lose our very purpose for living. But if we can be a part of eternity, not only have we found our purpose, but we've found a blessed existence forever. If you've never been baptized into Christ for mission sins, won't you do that tonight to become an active part of God's body? He adds church. He adds the church. It's there that sins are taken away. If we're a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before man that he is the Son of God. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way there's been that 
time that you just haven't been involved in the right things. Maybe involved in the wrong things. Maybe avoiding the right things. And I'd be a good time to clean the slate. Come home to God. Need to confess sin or pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.